Welcome to TV Times 3, episode 367. On this episode, we've got some renewal, well, one renewal, or a bunch of renewal things, and one cancellation, a sad cancellation. So sad that I even forgot to put it on the list initially, because <laughs> I wanted to completely block it out. But then, we'll be talking about some good news. We'll be talking about the ATX Television Festival, season six, that's coming up here in June. Uh, and then follow that by talking about uh, Netflix's Girl Boss, uh, the first three episodes of Hulu's The Handmaid, The Handmaid's Tale, and the series premiere of Stars's American Gods. As always, you can find the full show notes with start times for each segment at tvtimes3.com/three-six-seven. I'm Jason the TV Holic from tvholic.com, and this week I have joining me Kyle Nolan of NoReruns.net and Mike Moody from MrRobotPodcast.com. All right. Thank you both for joining me this week to talk a little TV and uh, also talk about the ATX Festival. Yeah, glad to be here, man. We'll get to the ATX Festival and the uh, primetime segment in a bit, but first up, some news from the past week. Amazon has renewed Z, the beginning of everything, for a second season. So It's not the, quite the beginning this time. The middle of everything. Yeah, the middle of everything. <laughs> and then uh, season three will be the end of everything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't see this going past two or three seasons at all. It's not exactly a critical darling, and I don't know anybody who watches it. So I never even saw an episode. So. Yeah, didn't get the you know any type of. You can sort of see when things hit the zeitgeist. You know, uh, mm -hmm. they, even if they come out of nowhere or whatever, and. You know, even if it's in our TV bubble you know, <laughs> that we kind of live in sometimes. Uh, yeah, this didn't even percolate up into that. Well, I'm glad Christina Ricci's working. Keeps her out of trouble, I guess. <laughs> uh, kind of a good cast. You got David Strathairn, uh, Natalie Knapp, some interesting people on the show. And, I mean, the the character, you know, Zelda Fitzgerald is is an incredibly interesting historical character, but I, I don't know. I was just I just never read anything so positive about this show that made me want to check it out. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't even. I don't know. It didn't even get me to check out the first episode. Like even in this in this world of so much TV, like after a while, I'm I haven't even w watched. You know, like the first episodes of stuff when they drop them at. At Amazon, like I used to, I used to watch all the you know, the scripted dramas and comedies, and stuff, when they would when they would put those things out, and then, if they got picked up, you would maybe check out a series or something like that later on. But, but now I I don't even I haven't even watched those, and I don't even haven't even gone back and like watched the first episodes of the things that actually get picked up a lot of times. I don't know. This one just didn't I don't know draw my attention. But uh, AMC has renewed uh, Into the Badlands for a third season, which will actually be 16 episodes, apparently, instead of the normal 10 for the last uh, for the previous two. So which they'll probably end up splitting, I assume, yeah. like they do <laughs> with The Walking Dead. And yeah, it'll probably be like half seasons of eight. So you can almost think of it as it's got it renewed for two more seasons. 
Yeah. <laughs> in some respects. Well, the first season was six, and the second season was ten, so <laughs> average out to eight, and now you got you definitely got two more seasons. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, kind of do that. <laughs> if you want to maybe play they'll, the Well, maybe they'll go, you know, maybe they'll go and there'll be ten episodes for the third season, you know, the first part of it, and then six episodes to close it out, so it has that. Uh, and then that'll be it. I don't it's know. a palindromic season. Yeah, we, we, we're just we're just planning out the ends of all these series that have just got renewed for another season. <laughs> we're just playing the odds. Yes, right. And then here's one that out of out of nowhere, uh, Hulu has renewed Freakish for a second season. I I got that email and I don't even know what the first season was. I don't even remember. It was the it was the kids trapped in the high school with the fog outside. Oh, that and, one. Okay, they I watched drop, the first episode of that. Yeah, yeah, they dropped like the whole season like all in one day back in October, and then all of a sudden, apparently, they're going to do another season. <laughs> so, those are the interesting ones to me, like the ones that you just you never hear anything about, and then all of a sudden, months after, because then you have other stuff like last week we had something that was like picked up for another season or two or something like that, and the first episode hadn't even aired yet. Such a weird, weird, weird TV landscape we live in these days. Although at least with Hulu, like they know exactly how many people are watching yeah. their their shows, so it's not like a shock to them. Like they can definitely see the numbers. It's not trying to play the guessing game with with Nielsen counts and DVR counts and all that stuff. I don't know. Maybe it's had some. Maybe it had some good long tail of, of people watching it. Yeah, it has a lot of young people in it. My guess is Hulu's maybe banking on the potential for a couple of these people to break out and become stars. Could be. Yeah. They were all like YouTube YouTubers or like mm-hmm. you know various things like a lot of them. So yeah. CW ready. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the uh, like the like a like a farm team. Uh, <laughs> yeah. To make a to to make a baseball reference there, Kyle. That's a that's a baseball. I actually got that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I thought you meant like a team of farmers. (laughs) I was like, yeah, that's an interesting reference, but I'll go with it. And then the uh, the bad news on the list is that MTV has canceled Sweet Vicious after one season, uh, which is uh, which is disappointing. Uh, As we were talking a little bit before the podcast started. Based on sheer numbers of people that were watching it, you know, on MTV and then, which was practically nobody, I'm assuming that they must not have had a lot of streaming viewers on their app and things like that to supplement it enough. But it's been one of those shows that it had critical acclaim once people saw it and, you know, and then once viewers saw it, they seemed to be positive about it and created good word of mouth it just was starting from such a small thing that that you know things like we'll talk about it a little bit later probably as well but they're going to have a the creators and stuff are going to end one of the uh the actresses is going to be at the atx festival so it's, it's things like that that they could you know they could build on getting the word out even more and you know putting it out there it just seemed like one that could build over the course of a year that you would take a shot at giving it a second season. It just seemed like what it, you know, what the show was about and what was 
what was ha- you know what was happening around it that it would just uh, it it seemed like one that could possibly have a sort of a, a breakout type of uh, second season as people actually find mm-hmm. it. In our current like TV landscape, where when one thing gets canceled, the next day we're all saying, "Okay, where can it land now? Like, who can pick it up?" This definitely seems like one of those that a network that has uh, maybe a newer network or a streaming service that has less of a large cultural cachet that MTV does that needs a critical hit or needs something that can get some kind of buzz with a even a small audience. It seems like that kind of network might want to pick this up, but. I haven't read about the chances for it to be renewed or if the creators are just moving on or if they're shopping it around. Have you guys heard anything? No, I haven't seen no. anything really about that. I mean, my assumption is that it, it probably is, that these days there are so many options that when something does get canceled, especially like this, you know, after a, a first season like this, I I would imagine that they at least attempted – or are attempting to shop it to some other places to see if there's any if there's any interest in it in it going someplace else. It's just that you don't you usually don't hear about those things unless there's actually a you know a potential deal. <laughs> like you don't because these days I'm sure stuff gets shopped all the time, so that's that's like not a story. If there was some actual interest or some actual talks that happened out of that or whatever you know you might hear something about that but haven't heard anything like that with this one so uh, you know maybe it's one of those things that uh you know they get that they get that hashtag rolling out of atx like they've tried with the with other shows granted ugly uh, betty last year yeah (laughs) granted other things they've done that with had had much longer and bigger followings to begin with but uh yeah but you never know yeah, maybe we'll have an announcement at ATX. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, Netflix will now have a season two of The Last Kingdom after the first season aired on BBC America. Huh. So that's happening in the U.S. Sundance TV has renewed Happen Leonard for a third season. Oh, good. That's a cool show. And then on the uh, on the good news front, for me at least... Yeah, the only one that I've actually, for the most part, I mean, I watched some, I watched most of the first season of Into the Badlands, but, and I liked it. I just fell behind on it and just never caught up. I liked where Freakish started out, but never finished it. But TBS has renewed the detour for a third season. And I really like that show, even though I have like four episodes sitting on the DVR right now, but I do plan on finishing those off. I think they do a they do a good job of like wrapping up the story for each season, so it it feels like a complete yeah show, but leaving some thing hanging a little bit to yes. launch the next yeah something to keep to keep going with. Uh, but I don't know, it's just really funny. It's it's completely raunchy <laughs> but, and so not politically correct at times, and, and like <laughs> and, and like way over the top sometimes, but yet. Somehow, the group of them uh, pull it off, and then it has uh, Natalie Z, so I'd probably watch it anyways. Yeah. This looks really funny. I don't know why I haven't dived into it yet, but I'm definitely going to watch it. The The first season is, is like, 
you know, kind of like a National Lampoon's vacation, mm-hmm. but like even just like even more absurd <laughs> problems that they get into <laughs> on their road trip. And then the, you know, the second season was a little more, I guess they ended up traveling some towards the end of the season. They had him more being stuck in their apartment with his new job or whatever, but I don't know, just completely outrageous on some of the stuff that they do, but totally, totally hilarious. So, uh, but that'll do it for the news. Some good, bad and ugly or, <laughs> or good badlands and vicious. I, I guess there you go. Say. <laughs> Uh, in the in the news this past week, and we'll move on to uh, talk about the ATX Television Festival season six, which is coming up here June eighth through the eleventh, twenty seventeen. I like how they they go all out with the TV stuff. Each year is a season of the festival yeah. and things like that. This year they're basically branding it as you know TV camp for adults. Which it pretty much is. Yeah, that's that. That's what we've been calling it for years. I yeah, think. <laughs> that's pretty yeah. much. Yeah, that's pretty much what people that have been going have been calling it. Yeah, it's just a, you know, like you know, like going to Comic Con is 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 like nerd camp, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like adult nerd camp, <laughs> nerd summer camp. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so yeah, this is like adult TV. Well, TV camp for adults. Adult TV camp would be a completely different thing. <laughs> <laughs> Totally. Probably still held in Austin, but you know. definitely. <laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely a, a different festival altogether. It's a cool, growing television festival. That it's not you know it's not like sci-fi stuff or just a certain genre or whatever. They really run the gamut of the types of things that they have, the types of shows and genres that they cover of shows, uh, as well as. It's not just new stuff or it's not just old stuff. They do a good combination of the two. And so they have panels based on there's usually one or two around something that was canceled too soon. So like this year they're doing, I believe, like October Road is one of the shows that they're doing in that in that vein. But then they also are having panels and things built around. Battlestar Galactica this year, uh, as well as even older shows like uh, that. I, I'm one that I'm actually really excited for is Northern Exposure. Yeah, I love that show. And then they all the other thing that they do is they do these various different things, like they're doing an Alias Writers Room panel. So a lot of the people that wrote for Alias that have gone on to write for lots of other stuff are going to be talking about the creation and writing for that show on a panel. But then you also have something like Kurt Sutter is bringing all of, all of the people that directed episodes of sons of anarchy. And they're going to talk about directing and, you know, how they created the, you know, the look and, and things like that for, uh, for that show. But within those types of things is they have as well as guests and writers for all these other different shows is one of my favorite things that they do is that they take a look at who's there and what they've done in addition to the main thing they're bringing them there for. Yeah. And they, they create these other panels. Like last year they did 
one around westerns because they happened to have the guy that created Justified and the guy that was doing what was the AMC? Oh, Hell on Wheels. Yeah, that was doing Hell on Wheels, and then somebody else that had previously done, you know, worked on a western, and yeah. so they brought them together to do a panel to talk about writing for western. Oh yeah, and they had uh, Jonathan Nolan from Westworld on that. Yeah, and so they had yeah. you know lots of they lots of stuff like that where they have panels about a specific show or they do panels about a specific topic where they bring all these different people together. And so when you have a group of people that say like all these different directors that directed episodes of Sons of Anarchy, they've also directed lots of lots and lots of other TV. And so they could create all kinds of other types of directing panels to talk about or they can put them on a panel about some other topic because they've directed episodes of that type of show, you know, where now you have like a director, a writer and, a, you know, an executive producer of these types of, of some type of show that they put uh, stuff together. And so that's the real thing that I like most about the festival is that some of these little panels mm -hmm. uh, that get created that become super interesting to listen to these people talk about how they created their different shows. I, I'm a, I'm sort of a geek for how certain things, uh, you know, came about and stuff like that. But uh, how about you, Mike? Like, what uh, what is it about the festival that uh, got you to, since you live right there in town, you know, finally buy a yeah. ticket? <laughs> yeah. I, I really like how intimate the festival feels. I mean, you still get some long lines, but, you know, nowhere near as long as something like Comic-Con or anything like that. You know, it's just a few thousand people and most of the venues are pretty compact and it just feels cozy. And I really love what you're saying. Like the, uh, they have so many panels where not only do you have the stars, it's not just like the stars of a show promoting a show, but you also get the people who, who work on the behind the scenes talking about the process and the whole thing just feels like this really fun, energetic celebration of the medium that we all love. And it feels like they plan it out for it to be that, for it to be that, for it to be something that TV fans really enjoy. Because not only do you get to see the stars and you get them to you get to see them, you know, celebrate the shows that they're they're attached to, but you get to see uh you get to even meet the people behind the scenes and and get their take on what it's like to create a show from the ground up. And then you have things like the pitch competition, which lets like the audience members like us get involved. Um, and they have uh, there's trivia, there's premieres. Uh, and, you know, you can go there and see the premiere of the brand new exciting show that's not going to be on TV for another six months. So you get to see, you know, there's the chance to see a bunch of advanced stuff, too. And and this year, I'm probably most excited about the Battlestar Galactica reunion. That's just something I I never thought I would see happen in my town. You have Edward James Olmos, Katie Sackhoff, Mary McDonald, Trisha Helfer, Grace Park, Michael Hogan. I mean, everybody's going to be there, along with creator Ronald Moore. It's just going to be a huge thing. I can't wait. I think this might be the biggest year for them ever because I think Galactica – I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think it's like you think it'll draw a bigger crowd than, say, Gilmore Girls or the West Wing like I, in years past? It's interesting. What do you think, Kyle? Yeah, I don't think it'll I don't think it'll beat Gilmore Girls, but I think it it could beat the West Wing. 
Yeah. The West Wing, like the 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 line did wrap around the venue, but I I felt I got in there pretty quickly. Like it wasn't too hard, and, and you didn't you didn't hear a bunch of the stories about people waiting for hours like you did for Gilmore Girls the previous year. Oh yeah, I didn't have a I didn't have a fast pass for West Wing, and I easily yeah. got into that one. Yeah, me too. Yeah, West Wing wasn't as yeah bad that way. Gilmore Girls was was pretty big. I. I'm interested to see like what people that are really into because there's a there was never a huge fan base when Battlestar Galactic was airing. It was more of a critical darling and had more of a cult following. Uh, It never had the ratings anywhere near something like Gilmore Girls had. So I think the the overall fan base out there is smaller to begin with. But then also I wonder how many people that are into that type of show or into that show are really into more of the sci-fi stuff and not overall interested in an overall TV festival. They'd be more interested in like a Battlestar Galactica type thing at a Comic-Con or some other type of sci-fi type event. I haven't heard. It doesn't seem like there's been like a, a run on tickets like that. I mean, they still have badges available, so it's not like it when they announced that that. That it went over. Yeah. Like when Gilmore Girls was announced, like they basically like sold out, you know, like pretty quickly, I think, after that. Oh yeah, that's that's true. I'm interested to see what it what it does. I think this festival also leans more female. It does. And so I think and, and so I think it's probably less of a draw. Like I think Battlestar was probably a more male fan base than female fan base. Whereas Gilmore Girls was definitely like women could relate to that relationship with their mothers and it would definitely had a, a high female fan base. Yeah, I see that. But there are a lot of shows. I mean, this this festival already brings in uh, a mostly female you know contingent and they are representing a lot of shows that are uh, playing towards that audience. But now it seems like they might even bring in more males with Battlestar Galactica. Because, yeah, I mean, I mean, I know fans from both genders who love this show, but it, it does seem almost like a calculated move to kind of get the, the male sci-fi nerds into the festival, and we'll see if it pays off, right? Yeah, you got that. You got Sons of Anarchy. You got, like... Yeah, well, it worked for uh, getting Ivy to show up, who was supposed to be on the podcast this week. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> And was thinking about maybe not actually going to ATX until they announced the Battlestar Galactica thing. And then he bought his plane ticket and made hotel reservations. So now he's going. So I seriously hope he gets a fast pass for it, just <laughs> yeah, to be sure. Yeah, that's, a, <laughs> uh, yeah that's, the, that's the thing. And so, so yeah, it definitely, if you're a dude who loves TV... And you want to meet some ladies that also <laughs> like TV? Yeah. This might be a good festival to show up to because I would definitely say, just based on you know standing in lines and and seeing people walking around, that I'd say it's probably significantly slanted uh, gender wise in uh, female attendance the past couple of years that I've gone. Oh yeah, so definitely. So yeah, that's interesting. But, but yeah, overall. You know, Kyle mentioned the uh, fast pass thing. That's something that they do. They set aside about a third of each venue, uh, and you you pick your top eight panels that you would like to see, and 
you submit them and then at a certain point, you know, the submission period ends and the computer randomly draws, you know, goes through and randomly selects your list. You get four fast passes, but you're guaranteed to get four off your list. Uh, and the thing that that does is it is it allows you to know that there's going to be at least four things that you are pretty excited to see that you're going to be able to get into uh, as long as you're standing in a line 20 minutes before they, they open the doors. But but you get to go in first uh, and you're, you know, you're guaranteed as long as you're in that line 20 minutes before they start taking people in, you're guaranteed to get in to that venue. And so that's kind of a cool little thing that they do that. Yeah. I love that. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't always work out like a couple years ago, didn't get a fast pass for Gilmore girls and didn't get in to the Gilmore girls panel, but I wasn't there. Like that wasn't, like number one on my list of things to see or whatever. I mean, it would have been cool to be in there, but, but you usually get, you know, you're going to get some of them. It is a cool thing that it, it allows that everybody is going to get into a handful of things. It doesn't mean that you can't get into the other things. It just means that you might have to stand in a little bit longer line for, for something. But then we're also talking about, uh, like the biggest venue is the Paramount Theater, which seats about like 1,200. So we're not talking Comic-Con size 4,000, 5,000 seat venues, but, you know, as the biggest rooms that they have. And so, and that's just the, the thing that they use for a handful of things for like the opening night thing, which is going to be a screening of FX's upcoming new show called Snowfall. That's one of the, like Mike mentioned uh, a chance to see a new show before it actually gets broadcast. They'll be doing that in there, and then some of the uh, other things on other days. Yeah, Battlestar is in there as well. Yeah, Battlestar. Yeah, Battlestar will be in there the on Saturday night, and then they use the the State Theater, which seats around like four or five hundred or something like that for for some things. Yeah. and then the rest of the venues are pretty small spaces. I haven't really gone into anything inside the ballroom uh, at the uh, Intercontinental, so I, I went to. I don't really know how, like how big that they have that one set up, like how much, what kind of seating that has. But yeah, they don't really. I, I went to the leftovers there last year. I, I don't like the way they have that laid out because the the um, the stage isn't really that high, and the seats are all like, and there's lots of rows going back. Yeah, and the room is really long. Yeah. But they also use the uh, Alamo Draft House Theater that's right there in the area for some of the screenings during the day. That's where they'll do, like, for, like, the October Road, they'll do, like, a screening of an episode and then have a Q&A afterwards with uh, some of the cast and stuff in attendance. And there you're sitting in an actual stadium seating theater to watch stuff. You can order food if you want. Yeah. Well, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They come around and you can order food and... And whatnot to have delivered right to your, uh, right to your chair. And you can drink. Yeah, <laughs> that too. Uh, they have all kinds of. You can get a milkshake if you want. Uh, oh, their milkshakes are so good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a, or you know a nice healthy salad if you wanted to. But nah. Or you know a milkshake and a big thing of popcorn, because uh, you know that sounds like a good combo. But yeah, that's the other thing that they do for this festival is is it's not at like a convention center or something like that. They use 
Paramount Theater, the State Theater, Ballroom at the Intercontinental Hotel. And those are all like right on the same same block, like right near each other. And then like a couple blocks away is the Alamo Draft House. And then another block or so away from that is Trinity Hall. That may seat a hundred plus people or so. And that's super cool that. that they do it that way because you get to you get to zip around you know, a, a good chunk of downtown Austin, you know, you, you get to get to get a feel of, of the downtown area instead of just sticking to the convention center, which is nice. Says a guy who's used to the Austin heat, <laughs> the rest of us, <laughs> I would rather be indoors the entire time and not have to run Come across. on. You, you want to breathe in the culture of central Texas. I can't heat and, heat and all. <laughs> well, I love it because I usually take my bike and I get to zip around downtown on my bike. It's fun. That could be super handy. Yeah, they also use the uh, the Google Fiber Space. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the outlier from the <laughs> the rest of the venues. It's a little uh, west, it's, yeah. It's not the. I mean, it's not like super far away or anything. It's just not near everything, and so it does take a little bit of you know some planning on you know what things you're interested in, and uh, if you're going to something at Google Fiber Space, but you want to go to something you know at the Alamo Draft House, you got to add a 10 to 12 minute walk in between unless uh you know unless you uh, have brought your bike like mike <laughs> and, you're, yeah. and you're zipping around town that way but i like that sort of aspect even though you're you're outside and it's not exactly uh, the last couple of years it's been like the week or two before has been like huge rains and flooding in the area mm-hmm. so it, yeah it's been dry. I mean, it's been not rainy, but it's been super humid and hot uh, in Austin for ATX. So that may not be a selling point uh, for it. But you know, <laughs> all the all the venues are air conditioned. You know, once you get inside and stuff. Definitely pack a towel in your bag, <laughs> yeah. or a couple towels, or handkerchiefs. You know, a bottle of water or whatever, and. Uh, mm-hmm. Recommend an, an umbrella for the heat when the sun's coming <laughs> yeah. down. Not a bad idea. I had my Sharknado umbrella the last two years, and it helped out. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's some – you end up standing outside a little bit for some things, but it's not too bad in a, in a lot of places where you're – and most of the time you're not – they don't allow you to line up more than like an hour beforehand anyway. So it's not like you could go stand in line forever for something either too. So, But the getting around, you know, kind of takes a little bit of planning for – for that type of stuff, but I do like that aspect of it's kind of cool to watch something in a theater and then have you know a Q and A afterwards, mm-hmm. and you know for those screening type that are you know include a screening of something, uh, and then you know some of the other ones they have you know set up at the inter intercontinental ballroom and then also you know like trinity hall and google fiber fiber space although they can do some screening of things at google fiber space as well they have those more set up for a stage for q a's and stuff like that i don't know just uh just a lot of fun but you know just to give like an idea you know like there's a few things on thursday there's a few more things on thursday like there's going to be a panel about the leftovers you know coming to an end there's going to be you know, something about Pretty Little Liars. Fox is going to be screening uh, one of their pilots. That's one of the, uh, over the course of the day, there's going to be one or two of uh, Fox's fall pilots like that they'll be picking up here in the next uh, 
you know, here in May during, uh, you know, upfronts, they'll say what their fall schedule is. And then a handful of those shows are going to screen at, at ATX. So you get a chance to, to see those earlies. Plus they probably bring the cast and like the, uh, the writer or whoever, someone related to it. usually have something related to it to have a little Q&A afterwards as well. They have a thing called First Gigs and Big Breaks on uh, the first day that has – this is the type of thing that they do that I find interesting is they're doing a panel where they have Graham Yost and Julie Pleck, which are names you may have heard of, and then along with them they have – writers that are now working for them or did work for them that they sort of discovered or brought on and they're talking about breaking into TV writing from both the perspective of somebody that's been doing it for a while and somebody that recently or had the experience of getting that opportunity. Oh, that's that's fantastic. And so it's it's that type of thing where the basic thing says it says for many TV writers, the big break is getting a showrunner to take a risk on you, and the showrunner's taking a risk by you know inviting a new you know a new writer into their writing room you know writer's room, uh, and so this conversation explores the relationship from both sides of that first gig, what led to the hire, the ups and downs, what the opportunity has done for both people, and so it's just a different twist on a writer's panel. And uh, it's it's things like that that I find super interesting that they do. Uh, and then Thursday also has, like I said, snowfall screening at night. And then later that night, if you're interested, they're doing a screen of the Will Ferrell, uh, <laughs> Chris, Kristen Wiig movie, A Deadly Adoption that they did for Lifetime. You know, stuff like that that they're doing, you know, like that's just like an out of – and Will Ferrell supposed to be there. Yeah, see, I would love to see him, but I don't think I could sit through that movie a second time. To, to talk about it. And so, you know, it's things uh, things like that. They also have the uh, the trivia night that night, yeah, too. Yeah, trivia night that night. But then Friday year. is sort of like the bigger day where they're using, you know, multiple venues. They have things going on all over the place. There's going to be a panel about girls. There's going to be one about the Black Donnellys, October Road. Playing House, if you're a fan of that USA Network show. I will be lined up early for, yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah, both Lennon Parnum and Jessica St. Clair are supposed to be there to talk about that show. But then they're also going to be on a panel later on. It's called Friendships on TV. And it's with a bunch of different writers uh, and stuff like that talking about creating these deep friend relationships in TV shows. Again... These are the types of things that I find super interesting is they have them there more so for playing house, but then they're also going to show up on these other panels about these other things. Mm-hmm. But they're doing, you know, Northern Exposure. They're going to have a network president's panel, uh, a This Is Us panel. Uh, and then later that night, they're doing a screening and outdoor, you know, sort of uh, there'll be like music and various things happening to celebrate like Parks and Rec. And uh, apparently, including little Sebastian, is going to be there. So, raised from the dead, you know, so the little Sebastian, I, zombie little Sebastian. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's that. And then uh, Saturday again during the day, a bunch of different things. You know, more Fox pilots, 
panel about the Americans, the Son of An- Sons of Anarchy directors panel, a sit down with uh, Linda Bloodworth Thomason, and a bunch of cast members from various shows like Designing Women and Evening Shade uh, are going to be doing uh, talking about a bunch of her different shows. And so, uh, you know, apparently, you know, like uh, Burt Reynolds and uh, and, you know, various people are going to actually be there to talk about those. The pitch competition is that day. There's going to be a panel for Younger, a panel for Sweet Vicious, which we talked about. Uh, and then the Battlestar Galactica panel is uh, that night on Saturday night. And then Sunday is sort of like a, sort of like the half day. Like they, they only go until like three o'clock or something like that. But there's panels for Grace and Frankie, new shows like Netflix's Glow and The Mick from Fox, A Fear of the Walking Dead, The Comeback, and there's still a bunch of stuff that's uh, you know set to coming soon. But those are all the, a lot of those will end up being the ones where they're working on seeing what kind of combinations they can create, what kind of interesting panels they can add to the mix. But that's just a little bit of an idea of some of the stuff that's happening over the course of the four days. I think you, you mentioned it, Mike, uh, the Battlestar Galactica, that's the, that'll be at the top of your fast pass list. Yeah, that's definitely at the top. Um, also the leftovers. I love that show. How about you, Kyle? Uh, there's too many for me to, I, I know ones that I definitely want to see are like playing house, the Mick. Cause I really like, I tend to like the comedy panels cause it's just fun to see everyone up there. And like, it's always a, a fun time. Same with the comeback. Uh, I'm interested in seeing that. Um, and then one thing I always like are the, when they have the script readings. Uh, so they're having one that's like two, like last year I went to the unaired big uh, TV show script reading. So they're doing one this year. There are like two never aired pilots where they're going to have various people that are already there for the con read the parts of the pilot. So that's one I definitely want to see. Uh, it looks like they always have like another, like a pilot script reading. It looks like they're doing one for, for suits. Yeah, they're but, doing a suit uh, pilot script reading. And they're having the cast. Most of the cast, yeah. So I don't know if that one, that one may not be like their usual one where they where they turn it into a joke. I think it will be. You think they'll just swap roles? Like they'll have people... I think they're going to have the cast there, but they're not going to read their own parts. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they're going to, you know, they could gender swap it or they could swap the main, you know, a lot of the main characters into less obvious roles or whatever that they might play or whatever, but... I don't see them doing a straight reading yeah. <laughs> of it. That just doesn't seem like the thing that they do Yeah, for those types of things. Those have been a lot of fun. Uh, those types tough of to get readings. into unless you have a fast pass. Yeah, those are definitely ones to, if, you, if you're looking for an hour of entertainment. Because <laughs> they'll talk about the show, you know, a little bit. Then they'll do a script reading and then they might talk a little bit like what's coming up in the hint at, you know, the next season or something like that. But yeah, those have definitely been entertaining and uh, definitely worth uh, putting on your fast pass list as a as a potential thing to get into because they're also on the last day that people tend to get in line for those. You know that those have had some decent lines for them as well. They usually do those in the state, which is a decent size, but still not big enough for how many people <laughs> want to see it. Yeah, for it sometimes. But yeah, that's definitely. Those are definitely good. Uh, for me, Battlestar Galactica, that'll be, that'll be interesting. That'll probably make my, uh, my list. But Northern Exposure is the, 
is the show that I'm most interested in seeing. Long ago when they when that was mentioned, you know, as one of the things that they were doing, I was like, oh, I used to love that show. I used to watch that show all the time. That was, you know, like back in the day, it was that was a sit in front of the TV, never miss, like from week to week TV show. So uh, that that's on the list. And then playing house because those two are hilarious. And there's no way that that's not that panel is not going to be funny. So yeah. <laughs> that'll definitely be on the uh, on the list of things as well. But there's other things to think about, like that's first in the day. First so you just day, line so up early. You could just get up and go stand in line early and not have to worry about. You just won't get the front. You just won't get near the front necessarily. Yeah, you might but... not. Yeah, you might not get near the front. But that's the other thing is just because just because people use their fast passes, they don't necessarily all go sit in the front. They're just using them because they want to be in the theater. Yeah. So you can show up early to get in line and. And for for those types of things in the in the Alamo Draft House, you're only talking about maybe thirty fast passes or something like that for like the smaller theater, or maybe seventy five or so or something like that for the larger one. Yeah, the Draft House is probably the smallest venue. No, the smallest was that one that they used to do. I don't know if they still use it. That was like basically ten rows and like four people per row. It was like this tiny little corridor way on the other side. They did like the conversation with Julie Pleck and the Dawson's Creek guy in there. Inside the Intercontinental? Yes. It's not the ballroom, but it's like on the opposite side of that. I don't think they use the second room. I don't think they do a second thing inside the... They made those all bigger, and they do a lot of those conversations at Trinity Hall now, and those types of things. I think they are using that more as the because that room setup was just terrible too. Because it was like a little long and just like really like another low stage. It was like tough to see when you're in the back. So yeah, so that that's the type of thing to think about planning wise. The other thing to think about is is if there's something that you want to see, and you have a fast pass for you know, or you're at something and you have a fast pass for something, you have to take note of how far you are away so to make sure that you are in line because they do invoke that 20 minute you got to be in line 20 minutes before to use your fast pass and you also don't want to make sure you walk out in the middle of a panel and be heckled by the people on stage (laughs) because that did happen because some of the venues the way they're set up it's not like you're sneaking out the back (laughs) you're sneaking out the you're sneaking out the side which is actually kind of close to the stage at say like the Google Fiber Space or something like that, so there is some of those things to think about to how to try and set up your fast passes and stuff like that. But for the most part, you just choose your top eight things, and then hopefully, like I got like four out of my top five like last year or something like that. Like I think I didn't get like my second choice or something. That was fine. But for the most part, you're standing in line with a bunch of TV people. You can strike up a conversation about the thing you're about to go see. Uh, you know, get to know some new people, had some fun conversations while standing, in, in, you know, in those lines waiting to waiting to get in. Don't just bury your head in your phone. That's part of the experience as well. Uh, the other thing about the, the, the festival is a lot of the people that are on the panels also end up going to some of the panels, like when they're not on the panels, because they are TV fans as well. Uh, and they're also just sort of out and about in that area. And lastly, the bar is like the at the Intercontinental is like the official sort of like gathering space. They do some, you know, they'll do like some food giveaways and different things at different times there throughout the 
the course of the four days, but it's also where people go to, to congregate. And so if you want to go chat with like somebody from your favorite writer from some show or something like that, there's a good chance you could bump into them and strike up a conversation at the uh, bar at the Intercontinental. That's where at night, most of where a good chunk of people are hanging out is in and around there. And if you're looking to get a picture with a celebrity, don't ask me to take the photo because yes. I will take <laughs> the worst photo of you. It's usually don't go uh, don't go overboard with the photo things like a photo here and there. Mainly, I got one taken last year just because I wanted to rub it in Ivy's face that he missed out on the West Wing panel because <laughs> an opportunity presented itself. But but for the most part, it's a lot of there is the handful of people that are there to like get their pictures taken with celebs and stuff like that. Uh, but for the most part, it's just a bunch of TV fans that are interested in TV and are interested in talking and chatting with people from TV shows that they like or have liked in the past. And uh, it's just a lot of fun. And then Austin, man, there's so many good places to eat. So mm -hmm. there's that to look forward to as well, uh, unless you're Kyle. I think I ended up eating out more that one week than I do the entire rest of the year. Like. <laughs> Kyle is the best to have around in a party because you go, hey, Kyle, you, where do you want to go? He's like, I don't care. And you're like, sweet, I get to choose. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And yeah, so... Any last thoughts on uh, on ATX, Kyle? Uh, I just hope it's uh, cool weather and make sure you set that up. <laughs> set that up for us, yeah, Mike. Yeah, can you get that, uh, can you put that order in for us uh, there, Mike? I will do what I can, but what what I can do is nothing. So. <laughs> uh, how about you, Mike? Any last last thoughts or words on uh, on ATX? I I just can't wait, and I I hope I get into Battlestar. I'm gonna get in line early but i'm looking forward to seeing you guys and all my other friends from all over the nation who come down for this thing and my canadian friends too looking forward to seeing them that's the fun thing too is uh it's a great place to meet up with the you know friends that have a similar interest you know in in like tv and stuff like that that's another reason why to strike up conversations with people you meet new friends and then you come back the next year and hang out again get some barbecue eat some queso and uh, hang out and talk some TV. Yeah. We'll have links to all the different information, the, the schedule where you can get tickets. The, you know, badges are still available and whatnot if you want to come hang out. And if you're already going, let us know so we can say hi. And with that, we'll move on to the uh, primetime segment. I'm going to just quickly talk about a few just uh, light shows here. <laughs> <laughs> Starting off with the lightest <laughs> of them. Uh, Girl Boss, uh, season one, uh, dropped, well, a couple weeks ago, I guess now or so, from when we're recording this, uh, at least a couple Fridays ago uh, from the recording of this on Netflix. And uh, I only got through the uh, first uh, three episodes uh, Kyle, you weren't uh, super uh, stoked about it after the first one. How far did you end up going? I ended up watching five episodes. Finally, in like the fourth episode, I met some characters that I actually cared about and were actually pleasant, <laughs> not like <laughs> people that were like the most like annoying, um, like uh, lazy, obnoxious, entitled 
Like uh, that—that's the one problem. And the, the the main problem I have with this is, I like the main character is just so unlikable. I don't know why we're supposed to root for her and her business because, like, she's out like stealing from stores. She's like, like yelling at her boss because she like didn't do what she was supposed to do because she's on her phone while she's supposed to be working and like she just like i don't want like this person is just ridiculous it's like she's so entitled like nothing's her fault everything like the world is out to get her and it's and it's not because she's not doing things correctly like i i just yeah i sort of agree with that in that i had a similar uh reaction to the first couple episodes like it doesn't really grab you, but I'll I'll give him one thing. In the first episode, she does acknowledge after she gets fired, where she's like, she's like, "Why am I such toll?" Yep. So like at least I give him credit for uh, at least within that, while she is self-absorbed and all of that type of stuff, there is some realization that she's messed up while she's trying to figure out you know, what she's trying to do. But yeah, all the uh, basically stealing of everything doesn't necessarily engender her as somebody I'm like super rooting for. Uh, but uh, how about you, Mike? How far uh, you, you finished it, right? You've, you watched the whole thing. Yeah, I finished it. It was pretty fun. I, I totally get your criticisms because I was feeling the same thing, but as the series goes on uh, a big part of it becomes answering the question of why the main character is like that and is so entitled. And it definitely has a very good lead performance by Britt Robertson. I'd say that she's the reason to watch it. She's magnetic. And you need someone who's really magnetic in a role like this because the character is can be very self-indulgent, just plain hard to like. In the first few episodes, you're probably wondering, why, why am I watching a show about this annoying, self-centered millennial? But if you stick with it, the character does grow and the reason for why she is the way she is gets explained in a more or less satisfying way. And I, I'm a sucker for stories about entrepreneurs, which is what this is largely about. So it appealed to me in that in that respect. You mentioned the actress like over the weekend I was watching A Dog's Purpose and she's the most pleasant, <laughs> nice, like yeah. charming character. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I wish she was more like this on Girl Boss. I'm not. Yeah, she does. I'm not saying it's a great show, but it, it, it definitely has. It's, it's a good late night weekend binge if you're up late and maybe you have a few drinks in you and you have some friends around (laughs) i had a i had a similar you know response to like it didn't initially grab me i have to say watching the third episode made it a little more interesting uh the one where she figures out the name yeah for it the the one where she also gets another job realizing that she needs to try and hopefully get uh, you know, health insurance because she's got that nasty uh, hernia thing going. Oh yeah, and Norm Macdonald shows up. Yeah, just <laughs> just for I yeah. hardly even recognized him. I recognize his voice, but yeah. he looks so different. <laughs> I yeah, I, I like his his uh, explanation of like, well, that's the job, and then people just walk behind them, just walk right in as he continues to talk to her. <laughs> about yeah. <laughs> about stuff like 
after just telling her, like, make sure, like, nobody goes in. Uh, I did also like the, uh, you'd think it'd be easier to tell the difference between a homeless person and an art student. But you can't. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, but if you see so-and-so dressed like such-and-such, just wave them through. That's the dean. <laughs> it's like, it was like the weirdest, like, description of, like, an outfit. But, you know, good old San Francisco art school humor. Gotta love that. But it was the third episode and them, you know, going around and seeing, like, different parts of San Francisco and, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the differences in how they saw the city. Uh, I, I really liked when he stopped the one guy and he, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm looking for venture capital. He's like, see, I told you, tech guys are everywhere. Uh, I enjoyed the third episode. Like, it was the first one that I kind of enjoyed. And, like, her finally... Because in that episode, like, when she actually has sort of found something that she's interested in, she's actually doing work. Like, she's going mm -hmm. and finding clothes. She's yeah. she's uh, trying to make them look... Design them differently or look differently or do things to them to uh, to put them out to sell. She's trying to come up with a, you know, a good name to to sell under and... And, and stuff like that. And so that was the first episode that was like, oh, I might watch, I might watch the rest of it. And mainly because I really like Britt Robertson. And then that episode finally made it like, you know, something that seemed a little more interesting. And third, the yeah. episodes are less than 30 minutes. I thought it was like, I didn't know that it was a half hour. Yeah, that's uh, its type, saving grace. Type show. Definitely. I thought it was gonna. Be, I thought they were gonna be like forty, you know, something like normal hour long, you know, forty something dra minute drama type episodes, and there was thir gonna be thirteen of them. But there's thirteen, like at least of the first three, you know, like the longest one is the first one at like twenty nine minutes, and the rest of the le the next two are like twenty four or twenty seven or something like that. And now, Jason, you saw the the first three. Did you get any kind of sense of when this show takes place? Oh, it takes place Cause in 2006 because it says right in the first episode. Oh, okay. See, I missed that in the first episode. And then, like, in episode four, they're watching, like, the OC. I'm like, who watches the OC now? And they're like, hey, did you see the OC? And, like, I was totally confused as to why all of a sudden, I mean, later MySpace pops up. And then you know yeah. that you're not Well, in also, the and, and, you know, starting an eBay store is not exactly the biggest thing to do, like, these days either. But still, it still happens. Yeah, like you... but uh, but yeah, no, it, it's it has like a thing in the at the beginning that says like that it's like sometime two thousand six or something like that because it's it's taking place. I mean, as as the opening says, it's loosely based on real events, and so it's taking place in a in in the same sort of place and time that the. Yeah, the actual. Yeah, it's based, the actual. I started googling when did that episode of the OC air, and then I started <laughs> found the air date, and like, oh, that's when this is supposedly taking place. <laughs> yeah, it's based on the book um, written by Sophia Amoruso, who was the real life founder of Nasty Gal, which is now bankrupt. And... Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I see the fourth episode. There was finally some saving grace. I, they introduced like Nathan and his mother, and they're absolutely hilarious. And the yeah, I like them the, a lot. The first like pleasant people that I'm actually rooting for on the show, and so that that episode was good. But then like episode five, it was back to like <laughs> back to well, it was like so, a flashback to her old like how 
she and Annie met and I was completely lost at first. I had no, they have different hair. And I thought, I didn't know who these characters were. And I realized, <laughs> oh wait, that's Annie. She just has long hair. Yeah. And so, But is Annie not the best, best friend ever? Like how, how could you be like that good a friend to somebody who's so like, sort of like self-absorbed and such a giant pain in the ass? <laughs> Yeah, and that that friendship becomes deeper as the series goes on, and and it gets tested. And you know, at first, I I, I, I wasn't really invested in it, but the, by the time the show was over, I was. I don't know. She's just so upbeat and just like super happy, and you're just like, dude, everybody needs like <laughs> like an upbeat best buddy, you know, like coming in to like cheer him up or whatever. I may finish it. I mean, it's it's only another you know ten episodes, so it's less than less than five hours that I have to watch. And so I don't think I'll be, it obviously wasn't one that it like hooked me that I end up binging it like the whole thing, but I may watch, you know, a hand, you know, two or three episodes at a time or something like that and finish it out. Yeah. I kept checking TV show time and like, please don't let Jason like this and watch the whole thing. <laughs> Cause I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to catch up on the entire thing. Yeah. I saw somebody talking about like that. You, you need to give it like a few episodes in or something like that. So I was like, well, I'll give it to the third one and see if it uh, hooks me enough to want to continue on. I think that'll do it for, uh, that'll do it for girl boss. We'll move on to the next uh, light and frothy tale on the, uh, on the list, which is the handmaid's tale, which the Hulu dropped the first three episodes, uh, uh, season one, episode one of Fred Episode two, birthday, and episode three, late. So, Kyle, what did you think of The Handmaid's Tale? Which I already know since you made it. <laughs> it was uh, my it, recommendation, it was recommendation last to, week. <laughs> <laughs> on the previous <laughs> podcast, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I like. I mean, I mean, it is a very dark, like and dreary at times. But I like the way, like, we hear uh, Alfred's voice in her head, and she adds like a lot of sometimes a really dark humor but it's at least there's some humor added in to try to like break apart uh what's good like get a break from all this like oppressiveness and like just awful stuff that's going on um and and like there's like there's like little moments like when she sees like the ridiculousness that's going on at the birth uh with like all of the uh the mothers having their own like fake uh delivery thing going on while uh while the other while their handmaid is off in the other room actually giving birth yeah and so like she just dies laughing at just how ridiculous all of that is but I, I mean, I think it's it's very it sets up a very interesting premise of like this 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 world that where all these rights have been taken away and basically they've just gone overboard with like following this uh, all these religious texts to the to the letter like and that's become this new what rules this new society. And so I, I think they've set up this really interesting premise, like, and also like this idea that maybe there's this this uh, group that's trying to form to to break away from all this and, and take back uh, take back life. Like, like I hadn't seen the third episode till this week, and I and I think that that sets up like a like you would think like why don't they just 
why don't we just uh, like fight this and just not uh, go along with this? But then you see like they've already got like their army out there and they're ready to kill anyone that tries to um, tries to go against their rules. And it all just like seems to happen overnight, like what they when they start their takeover. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely interested in seeing how the rest of this plays out. Yeah, well, I will say that the first episode at least gives you enough that you get the idea of what happened or what may have happened and and uh, that you're going to find out more about that as opposed to the next show on the list, which is American <laughs> Gods, which I, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't tell you really anything about what the show is going to be or give you any setup for what the series is. Uh, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. But I like that it's slowly over the course of the couple episodes, you get more and more flashbacks where you see sort of the time frame where like before she gets pregnant, you can see what things were kind of like. And then as she's getting, you know, as she gets pregnant, you know, you know, you can tell that it's, you know, it's a big deal that she's gotten pregnant. So, you know, the society is well into the, you know, nobody's getting, you know, birth rates are significantly down and stuff like that. And then you see other things where you can see they show flashbacks where you see after she's had, you know, the baby things that have happened and how the, the you could see a little bit of change in the society and some of the people around the reaction to them at the at the coffee bar that they've gone to like all the time. But now there's somebody new there. And then also, and then and then some flashbacks to, you know, protests and things when you know, laws started changing and, and, uh, and areas started, you know, falling under control of this new, you know, governmental leadership. Uh, I, I thought they did a really good job of, of laying some of that stuff out so that you, you start getting to, you start getting more and more of it. There's enough in the first episode that you, you get it like, okay, something bad happened and, there, you know, people are on the, you know, have been on the run or trying to get away or, or, or different things. And then they go back over time and they start showing you how some of those things came about and how, you know, how, and, and you learn things like that there, you know, by the time she's been a handmaid now for however length of, however long it is now, after she got captured, that the United States is now down to like two states. Uh, you know, basically like Alaska and someplace else, uh, but like the rest of maybe it's Hawaii. I don't know, uh, but like the basically like the continental United States has now been taken over by this, you know, this new group. You know that basically has, at least in the area where some of the leadership is and where we we see uh, Offred and meet the family that she's been sent to. We see a lot of, you know, there's soldiers all over the place. There's people are watching. You don't know who you can trust and and things like that. It's a very, it's a very dark yeah. set of events. Uh, but how about, uh, how about you, Mike? What did, what did you think of the, the Handmaid's Tale in the first three episodes? I love it. I was able to, to binge the first three that Hulu put out. Uh, this week, and I was seeing online a lot of people are like, "Oh, I can't even watch three back to back because it's so 
depressing, but I was able to to cut through it pretty quickly. I really like the way the series is telling its story, which is all through the lens of the main character. You know, the horribly oppressed woman, this post-apocalyptic future played by Elizabeth Moss from Mad Men. Like, she's awesome. And it's building this huge dystopian world, but it's doing it in a very personal way, just showing us the struggle of this character and highlighting the struggles of the people around her. And I like the voiceover narration. A lot of times I don't like it, but but in this one it works. It reminds me a little bit of Mr. Robot, where it's like a very human-type voiceover. It's not really pulpy or grandiose. It helps you connect with the main character instantly. Um I'm enjoying the flashbacks, like you said, Jason, that it shows how the world kind of got this way. I appreciate that explanation. And I like that it's this very dark character story, but it also has a lot of dark humor kind of snuck into the narration. So it's not a total bummer all the time. It's still, it can be kind of funny. Yeah. Even like her, her like internal monologue sometimes uh-huh. and re- yeah. you know her internal reaction to things or, or even her. Her reaction to playing Scrabble with <laughs> right. like the like the weirdest situation ever, like being invited by uh, the commander into his office to play Scrabble. Yeah. And that the whole sequence leading up to the Scrabble thing, you're like, what's going to happen? It was so suspenseful. And, and this show has uh, like parts of it play out like a genuine suspenseful thriller. Like you don't know who to trust. Nobody knows who to trust. It it works out really well. It makes you want to keep watching and find out who's who and, and what's going to happen, you know? Yeah, it's Please. just, I, I really like the, uh, yeah, while it's a, a dark, you know, twisted future uh, that they're telling, I don't totally get the, it's not super upbeat, and for the most part, I get like I go to TV to watch like more upbeat things, you know, to to be entertained and stuff like that. But I was entertained by this in that it was an interesting story told well mm-hmm. with good acting and not any more depressing or to me than any other dystopian future, you know, movie or, you know, type of or TV show you know, type of story. This is just a different, this is different, just a different twist as to how we got to this type of future, you know, as opposed to machines taking over or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's any, I don't think it's any worse than like a black mirror <laughs> type of episode when you're like, Oh yeah, I, I could probably mainline this more than black mirror. I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, if you can stomach some of the more disturbing acts of violence, like physical, sexual, and emotional violence that's perpetrated against women in the first few episodes, then you should be able to to get through this pretty quickly because it's very compelling. Yeah, I mean, they also do like – I mean, like Kyle was talking about the the scene where they have the the person who, you know, that's going to be the mother pretending like they're – they're getting ready to give birth and then they go in and they get behind and, and mimic the handmaid that's giving birth and then, you know, get in bed and have the kid, you know, like, like they had the kid yeah, and things like that. But they did the same thing with the getting the handmaid pregnant. Like yeah, that is to have basically like her head, like right in the crotch of the woman who's <laughs> can't get pregnant as the guy is, is uh 
well, we all know what the guy is doing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're all waiting to hear. And, uh, no, explain it to me but, in detail. <laughs> but you know, you get that whole that whole movement, like the like this whole ceremony and thing that's come, like like that's been created in this society about how you know, like this, it's some sort of weird transfer of like, if we're all here, then I'm, I'm really having sex with my wife, uh, even though I'm impregnating the handmaid type of thing to, uh, because, you know, she's barren and the handmaid isn't. And so they have, they have a lot of that type of stuff inside of, uh, you know, the, these customs and things that, uh, that have developed into this society, uh, which is, which are kind of bizarre and stuff. Uh, and on top of some of the, you know, some of the more violent uh, things that, uh, that we see, but then also a lot of the violence that takes place is off screen. Like you hear gunshots and you know, somebody yeah. was was sh- shot and killed. Uh, you didn't have to see like their head splatter, you know, onto the pavement or something like that to get the emotional connection to what's going on type of stuff. And so, yeah, it's it's definitely like if you have Hulu, it's definitely worth checking out. Oh yeah, definitely. And if you haven't signed up for Hulu yet, it yeah. might be worth as I've as I've said before with these types of things, if you uh wait till the you wait a few weeks to get your free month, then all of the episodes will be there. You <laughs> you can watch. Uh, and you can you know, you can watch all 10 as well as dipping into casual or something like that, which would make Amory super happy. (laughs) (laughs) So they're going to, they're going to release after these initial three, they're going to do one every week, right? Yeah. Yeah. So seven more, seven more weeks. So if you, you know, you wait three more weeks, four more weeks till the, you're in the month where the last episode is going to drop, then you sign up and you've got four weeks to, you know, watch all 10 episodes and whatever else is on Hulu. Uh, these days, like the first season of Freakish, if you wanted to as well. <laughs> you know, now you know there's more coming. <laughs> yeah, now that you know there's going to be a second season. That's The Handmaid's Tale. Definitely one worth checking out. And we'll move on to American Gods, uh, season one, episode one, The Bone Orchard. And my initial reaction to this is, I bet you people that read the book really enjoyed <laughs> it because they probably know what the hell's going on. Yeah. And I, I realized as I was watching, this isn't the book I listened to. This is, I listened to some other related book. Like, <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. All I know is I, I, I watched it. The performances are good. The look, the aesthetic of it is very good. It's very uh, Hannibal-esque mm-hmm. in, the, in, its, in its look and feel of how it's shot and, and things like that. And like I said, the performances are good. But if you haven't read anything about the show or have any idea what the show is about, like going into it, this first episode doesn't tell you. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It doesn't even it doesn't even hint at it, really, except that. And then I watched like the little thing afterwards of, uh, you know, with the creators where they talked about how such and such was allegory for blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, if you know, if you're like huge fans of the book and you like know everything about it, you may know that's what you're doing. But as a first episode, I'm like, what? (laughs) I don't know what this is. So, yeah, I think 
yeah, I don't, I don't know. I like something strange like Legion. I still got like there was like some good guys and some bad guys out there, and there was like mutants, and there was a group trying to control those mutants, and even within all the weirdness, there was like there was a basic like that you got of what was of what was happening. This. I only know that there's a war between new gods and old gods because I read that in the description and I wouldn't have known that the guy that shows up in some weird technology piece is some, you know, new God and Mr. Wednesday is, is an old God uh, without that type of information. And I'm not a huge fan, no matter how well made of shows that I need external information to understand what the heck is going on. What did you think, Mike? I, I liked it a lot. I'd kind of argue that you need all that explanation going in to enjoy it because I, I've never read the book. I'm not the biggest Neil Gaiman fan. Uh, Sandman comics are cool. I haven't really ventured further beyond that, but I really enjoyed it. It's extremely violent and bloody and explicit, but it's also got this really compelling central character played by a pretty good actor, Ricky Whittle. Uh, and he set upon this really interesting path that it involves all these gods and possibly demons and a leprechaun and all kinds of supernatural mischief. So I now think you're just is... making up stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a leprechaun in the first uh, in the first uh, episode. So I think this is going to be a fun show. I'm definitely am hooked. I'm I, I do love what Brian Fuller did with Hannibal and. And with shows like Wonderfalls, he knows how to tell a really visual story um, and and has that visual flourish. And I think American Gods is going to continue to to benefit from from him being on board and and kind of helping craft these craft these visuals and, and lay out the story. But, yeah, I, I I don't know much about the source material other than what I've had friends tell me here and there that I don't really remember. But. Um, I know there's a lot that I'm missing and I'm hoping the show is going to fill in the gaps as it goes along. But I don't really think you need to know, you know, exactly where the story's headed or who the like who Ian McShane's character really is and things like that. I don't think you need to know that kind of stuff to to enjoy it. At least I didn't. I, I enjoyed the performances and the story and, and just the visuals. I enjoyed that stuff as well. But without any external information, I couldn't tell you what this was setting up other than you were most for the most part following Ricky Whittle's character. Yeah. And that's all I need. I'm like, is he compelling? And is he going to go through some weird stuff? Yes. And yes. So I'm in, but you still have no, I, I still say it, it leaves a lot to be desired on giving you an idea of what the show is. And, uh, I'm interested to see if they do more of that. Uh, the little bit I've seen about it is it, <laughs> Is that even two or three episodes in is still not necessarily sure. So uh, that'll be interesting to see. How about you, Kyle? What did you think of uh, the first episode of American Gods? It made me want, just like Hannibal did, it made me miss the days when Brian Fuller did fun, whimsical stuff. Because <laughs> I liked his old stuff so much better than these things. Like, I, I just found it wait. Like you said, it has nothing to do with what the, the actual premise of the show is supposed to be. Like, you, because I had read what it was before, and this had nothing to do with that whatsoever. I mean, I'm assuming that, that the uh, woman that Brian Doyle Murray 
had an adventure with uh, is actually <laughs> an like, adventure, <laughs> an, an old god, I, and not like one of these new gods. But that's how she stays young. <laughs> to each their own, and so like that just it, it, like like you said, it's so graphic. It's like Spartacus level graphic with all the yeah. blood flying everywhere, yeah. and the Viking stuff didn't seem to have anything to do with what was going on with the rest of this episode. I mean, it has more to do with the old god stuff, but they never explain that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't even know if I want to continue through this I, I is this a limited series or is this supposed to be like open-ended to um to continue for more seasons open-ended. i don't think it's limited yeah yeah i think it's open-ended yeah. to keep going because if if that's the case then are we even gonna are they gonna by the end of this even explain yet where this is supposed to go I, I don't know. I, I may give it another episode, but it's not one that I was so drawn to. Like, I never really cared for the visuals of Hannibal to begin with. And this is definitely has that same feeling to it. But we'll see what happens. But overall, I, I was not uh, like I'm sure the book readers love it if it's exactly what's in the book. But it wasn't for me. Sorry, book readers, if Ivy was a book reader of this and he was going to, <laughs> to love this. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know if Ivy had read the. It uh, seems likely, maybe. That he, <laughs> it seems definitely likely. That he would have, <laughs> uh, possibly. So, yeah, I don't I don't know. I think the visuals and the and, you know, the characters and the actors was enough to, like, get me to watch to watch more. But if I'm like two, three, four episodes in and I still have like no idea of like what like what the story is. I mean I know what the story is. It's you know a war between new gods and old gods, but that's the show didn't tell me that. You know, like I read that someplace else. Yeah, but it it did tell you that, you know, Ian McShane is some kind of big player and then the 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 kid who kidnaps our main character later on and tries yeah, to kill him. Yeah, wants to know what he's, you know, what he's up is, to. Is on the other side, so there's a conflict. So, I mean, that's kind of all you need to know, you know? Yeah, but, it, I don't know, it just didn't... At the end of it, I wasn't nearly as enamored with with it as some of the hype from various friends that have read the book that were so looking forward to this. Yeah. That, like I said, going into this, my initial reaction was basically, like, I bet the people that read the book, because... The little bit I have seen and like listening to the, you know, like Brian Fuller and the other guy that created the show with talk about it and just little things I've heard other people say and picked up with and stuff is that they're huge fans of the book and that they're trying to do a somewhat faithful adaptation of the characters and stories within it. It just didn't transfer into a good television like setup for me. So I, I'm assuming that people that have read the book saw, like, the physical manifestations of these characters that they read about and were, like, super jazzed, you know, to, to see somebody like Ian McShane as Mr. Wednesday. But for me, I was just like, well, Ian McShane's cool, <laughs> you know, like, but where this character or what have you or any of that type of stuff, yeah, it just didn't leave me, like, going, oh, I can't wait for... The next episode. Yeah, I wasn't like on the edge of my seat for the next one, but I was like, 
I'll definitely watch this next week. It'll be fun. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. See, see where it goes from there. And uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about it in a in a couple of weeks or something like that after we've got a few more uh, episodes under our belt. With that, as always, you can find uh, links to the news stories, and then also we'll have links, as I mentioned, to more information about ATX and where you can find uh, more information about possibly attending that. And again, like I said, give us a shout out if you're going to be there so we can say hi. Yeah. And we'll have all that information as well as where you can uh, find Kyle and Mike uh, online in the show notes at tvtimes3.com slash 367. And uh, next week, Amory will be back with me. And it looks like uh, Ivy will be uh, hopefully not having to travel for work uh, last minute like he did this week. And will be uh, joining us next week to talk some TV. And uh, thanks again, uh, Kyle and Mike, for uh, joining me on episode 367. Thank you.